Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. For anyone who is new to Inspirational Leadership, I created this show to speak with leaders who are really walking the talk in creating positive work cultures. And not only that, they're also taking the time to invest them in themselves and become better leaders every day. I'm very excited for today's guest. I am speaking with Tony Guerreri, who is the CEO of Roma Molding. Thank you for being here today, Tony. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So Tony, tell me high level, what kind of stuff do you do at Roma Molding? So from a high level perspective, we uh, manufacture and distribute what we believe to be the world's most exquisite, most beautiful picture frames. And uh, you know, it, it's not something that's needed every day. However, we own a lot of picture frames and whether it be around a mirror or around you know, your wedding photo or a child's, you know, um, certain areas in their life, we get to adorn some of your most beautiful moments. Yes, yes. And it's so, it makes such a difference in your environment, right? To see that picture frame and see those colors, it really has an impact on lighting up your life. So I'm a big fan of picture frames. I can never have too many. Um, so Tony, I mean, you didn't just become the CEO overnight. So tell me a little bit around your career journey. What got you to where you are now as the CEO? Yeah, so great question. So I was, um, uh, born essentially into an entrepreneurial family. My father was an entrepreneur early, as early as he could remember. And um, he was an immigrant to the country of Canada, didn't speak the language, but wanted to obviously build a better life like many immigrants do. And he stumbled upon uh, the picture frame industry doing, you know, side jobs or odds and end jobs within the industry, uh, found a liking to it and, and really um, you know, started the business and, and from there it obviously grew. And, uh, when the business was founded, I was six years old. So today I'm 41. And so a lot's happened in between, uh, but growing up, uh, you know, you're a product of your environment. And I see my dad work very hard. And he was very determined, had a lot of passion about what he did. And, and I also seen the company grow. So it was actually a physical manifestation of the growth of the business. And it was exciting. And so all throughout, uh, you know, high school and then through, you know, post-grad and to university, I always believed I, I wanted to help support my dad and maybe one day run the business. But most importantly, I, I believed I wanted to work with people and I wanted some form of leadership. And, and why I believe that is because I wanted to help people become um, even better than they already were. And so out of university, I went into, believe it or not, the banking industry and uh, very different than what I'm in today. Uh, just taught me a lot about structure and things of that nature, but I wanted more. And, and that's when I joined my dad's uh, company, you know, as a very intern, uh, you know, uh, at the bottom and slowly learned, you know, the, the ropes and, and later became CEO of the company. Wow. And we're going to have a great discussion because I know that your company went through a lot of transformation. Um, before we get into that, um, even just hearing the word inspirational leadership, what does inspirational leadership mean to you? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. So um, I think leadership in itself, uh, when it, in the description of what it takes to be a leader, is to inspire advocacy and it's to, it's to ignite, be the ignition or uh, allow yourself to ignite and have people around you see that and want to in some way, shape or form, either want to join you in that journey, want to be like you in that journey, or you know, just want to be a support of some sense into whatever it is you're doing. I, I think, in my opinion, it's something that um, 
is exemplary and something that people want to step into. And it's so from passion, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, uh, and I can feel your passion as well. So I can imagine how that shows up every day. Um, people being around you as a leader. I'm curious if you can think of a time when you think about leadership and action. You know, I think it's helpful to sometimes even give stories around when was the time it could be yourself, um, you know, showing up as a leader or it could be someone that has been a mentor or you, that you have admired as a leader. What did it look like for you to see them in action, a situation where it's like, wow, that's what it means to be a leader? Yeah, I, 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 there's a number of them. I, I uh, explained my father early on um, who had a grade eight formally educated to grade eight. Um, you know, build a, a multi-million dollar business. That's inspirational for sure. Uh, but I would say someone that really helped me along is a, is a gentleman named Tony Shea from Zappos.com. He's the uh, former CEO of that company, later sold on to Amazon. Um, it was exemplary leadership. And I was so inspired by his leadership that um, what I was inspired by is that he truly trusted his team. And as a result of his trust, the team just stepped up in, in a manner that far superseded anything he could have done himself. In fact, it's magical what happens when you instill trust in people. Um, the level of commitment just goes above and beyond your wildest expectations. And, and so for me, Tony, Tony was able, and Tony, Tony, I just realized that, but um, <laughs> I, I think uh, Tony, Tony taught me what happens when you trust the people on your team and what happens in leadership when you trust them, what shows up on the other end. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. We put our people first. So we trusted that they would do the right things and shocker. Um, they did the right things. Mm. Okay, so this is where we're really going to get into it and dig in because you and I are very passionate about this, what it looks like to put people first. And it is a huge return on investment. And there is a lot to show the business case, but sometimes people don't really believe it. They have to, they want to hear examples. And I know you personally, um, with Roma Molding, there was a time where some big transformation happened in the organization things were going one way and you realize that if some really big changes weren't made, that the, the company might not make it. So I'd love to hear that story around what, what was the, what was going on? What was the impetus for these changes? And then what did the, the before and after look like? Sure. And, and I think, I think you touched upon something. I don't want to step over it. Um, it's easy to hear these things in a podcast or someone telling you um, it's another thing to really live them. And, and we really lived it in a big way. And uh, I, I believe change is predicated on, on primarily two things. One, either a lot of hurt, meaning a massive amount of pain, or a massive amount of pleasure. Typically, people get into action in the massive amount of pain. And, uh, and we were in that massive amount of pain. Uh, we, we had lost our way. It was the global financial crisis. People didn't need picture frames. Um, in fact, that was probably the least thing on their list to buy. Um, they, they were interested in buying, you know, beer, um, liquor, uh, TVs, things to take their mind off the realities of the world. Yeah. Well, people stopped purchasing picture frames and our, our, our company, our leadership, our philosophy, our objectives didn't work anymore. And uh, we, had, we had lost our way. We had become bewildered and uh, 
uh, I, I was guilty as part of that. And under that, you know, leads to fear and fear has you uh, not be focused and cognizant of what's transpiring. You're more reactive. Yeah. And as a result of fear, we started changing leadership style. And yeah. it was uh, a leadership style of my way or the highway and um, versus a leadership style of, as you've indicated, inspirational leadership. We were the polar opposite of inspirational leadership. And um, what happens in that environment, you're, you, you, uh, you can attest to the great people in your business, the foundational people, the people who believe in you at the highest level, they're the first people that you know, take a pulse as to what's happening and nine times out of 10, they eject the business. And in our case, they ejected. And we were left with people who, in many respects, love pain. They thrive in pain. And, and not in a good way. They just are those type of people. And the pillars were gone. And, and if you think of a, a house or a structure without proper foundation, over time, you know, a few windstorms, the house is going to be blown away. Well, our, ours was on the verge of being blown away, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you do to transform that? And so, you know, uh, it, it was a tumultuous time. And, and uh, when you're in fear, you don't know where to look. And um, I, I'm a big, big advocate of success leaves clues. And that's when a friend of mine introduced me to a company, just the concept of a company over dinner. And it was a concept of a company that put their people first. And as a result of putting their people first, their people then put their customers first and and that ex, you know that exemplary leadership flowed into the team which then flowed into the partners or customers and then that that wheel kept turning and that company was zappos.com which led me later to to meet tony shea and and to have a genesis of even believing what's possible because I truly didn't believe, even after I read the book and watched the things online, I didn't believe it was possible until I actually physically went to their location and felt something. And, and what I felt was just magical. And, and it, it was an experience much like when a child goes to Disneyland. Although there are different theme parks, there's a different experience when you, when you go to Disneyland. And I was in Disneyland for business. And I didn't want to leave. And, and at that point, what, what I realized was there was a huge delta between where they were and where we were. And the fact of the matter is, I didn't want to leave their company to come back to my own company. And I knew something was very wrong and something had to change. Yes, yes. And then I know you came back and you really started to put those into practice, like to the point that now people are coming to your company to see what a really awesome culture looks like. So what did those shifts start to look like? How did the culture change for you? Well, I think uh, first thing we, we took our pulse, like, where are we? Um, I think culture runs rampant in all businesses, organizations, schools. We just need to know where the heck are we? So there's kind of like really great. And then whatever your polar opposite of really great is, you're somewhere along that line. Yeah. And, and so we, we polled our team and we surveyed because we didn't want to guess. And we, we knew, needless to say, we were not in the upper quartile. We were certainly in the bottom of the, the heap, uh, so to speak. And, and we knew we had a lot of work to do. And 
I, I recall, you know, I get this question a lot. What was the first thing you did? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the first thing we did was a admit that we had failed our leadership team and our team as a whole as leaders. And then second, uh, we didn't make any promises, but rather we vowed to work towards being one of the best companies to work for, certainly here in Canada. But how would that look like globally? Um, and by the way, we were authentic about, we don't know how to do that. So we need your help. Mm. And so right there, um, it was authentic. It was real. It was a declaration of a vision that was out there. We didn't know how to achieve it, but it was something that was inherent, something that we really wanted to, to, to get to. Yeah, I, I hear so many things with what you just said there. One is like really getting clear on that vision and that purpose and where you're going and rallying everybody around that. Um, I also heard you saying taking responsibility and taking ownership for some of the gaps that existed and saying, hey, I admit this is what was going on and this is what we, we want to do better. And I think that's a huge one because sometimes people think, well, you know, it's too late. It's too little too late. No, if you come in and you're transparent and you say, you know, I made some mistakes. We could have done things a little bit differently. People are really willing to hear that. And then, of course, if action's taking, it, taking place after, it's one thing to say it hey, this is going on, we want to change. But then when they start to see the action, that that trust can be built again. Yeah, and we were, and we were very intentional on, the, on any commitments going forward because it was uncharted territory. And we made that very clear. Uh, we created a vision out there that we didn't know how to achieve. But at the very genesis of it, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I think what was pivotal for us was admitting our failure. And what have been, you know, I like to think of other um, individuals who might be listening to this podcast and just think, you know, what are some of the baby steps we can start to take? I think a good place is let's just take a pulse first and see where things are at. But when you think about those big, those quick wins in terms of some of the culture piece, what would you recommend for those two or three things that can have the biggest impacts? So two or three things. So it's a, it's a great question. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a bit reluctant, but I'll share because the two or three things, it depends where are you on the scale. For sure. I mean, we have some really cool, cool objectives that, that work really well here at Roma. Not sure how well they would work elsewhere. What I would tell you is some three things that, that I would be intentional about is being intentional about listening and then acting. Um, it's one thing to gain or listen and gain the knowledge of what the team wants. Uh, I would say, be careful about what you ask for, because if you get something, something, I mean, it's, it's no different than if you push something, something's got to come out the same with uh, feedback. So if you're going to get feedback, make sure you action something on it and the things that you're not actioning on actually be transparent why you're not. Yeah whether it's budget, whether it's timing, whether it's being overzealous, hey, I think we need a slide from the third floor down to the bottom floor because it would be really cool. <laughs> well, I think it would be cool too, but maybe there's legalities and whatever the case may be. Yeah. So really just kind of put that out there. I, I think, so that's number one. I think number two is a huge level of transparency. So as you're getting that feedback, be as transparent as you can. So in all our Pulse surveys, um, we publish all the results. Now they're anonymous, uh, but we publish all the results, all the question results, and as well as all the comments. So early on, we, we vetted for profanity, 
today, thank God, there's no profanity because we're, you know, probably in the upper quartile, but, but we published it and it, it was real and, and raw. And, and someone was able to say, you know, I, I actually said that. Yeah. And wow, I'm surprised they actually shared it. So uh, be transparent. Yeah. And, and I think over communicate um, mm -hmm. anything you're doing and not only over communicate, but indicate why you're doing what you're doing. Because I, I think it's really great. Hey, we're having this food drive and it's on Friday and we want to gain, you know, 5,000 pounds of food. Really, really cool. Yeah. But why? Right. And I think the why gets people either enrolled or not. Hey, why is, I don't know, your why might be maybe as a CEO, you, you came from a country that, that food was very scarce and, and you never want to have someone feel that or, or whatever the case may be. But sharing the why actually builds the advocacy, builds the ambassadors. Yes. Um, does, that, does that make sense? Yes, yes, so important. People em emotionally connect to the why. They wanna understand the why. So the more, and I think that storytelling is such an important aspect um, of leadership because the more you can paint that vision, you can paint that story around what, why it's important and why it's the why, uh, people can get on board with that. So, as I was saying in the beginning, I firmly believe as a leader, you're never done growing and developing until the day you die. That's how strongly I feel that we're always evolving. So I'm curious for yourself as a leader and then also in terms of supporting the other leaders in your organization, what, is that, what does that look like for you? How, how do you continue to develop yourself? Uh, so great question. And uh, I echo your sentiments. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm always going to be the student. I'm, I'm never going to be the prof, if you think of it that way. And, and I think our world is evolving and changing at a pace never seen before in history, meaning in the, in the, the cycle of humanity, we've never had this level of evolution. We're talking AI, we're talking uh, just a world in five years from today that's going to look perhaps very different than it is today. Yeah. Um, so I, I think constant learning, it's also ingrained in the values of our company. Our core value number 10 is love learning and pursue growth and development. Yeah. So um, I guess I want to answer the second question before I answer the first yeah, one. For sure. um, so we, we put money and budgetary money to any of our values. So as the value of love learning, we have a tuition reimbursement policy within the company. If it is aligned with what you're doing and why you want to do it and that whole deal. And we, we have a fund for that. We also fund our own library where we, we uh, have uh, books that are uh, educationally driven. I mean, there's no har Harlequin novels, which are really good, uh, but they're, they're uh, books that are written either in uh, leadership, self-help, uh, inspiration, positivity, wh whatever it may be. So we fund that and a, bu and a bunch of other, you know, uh, ancillary things. We also have uh, internal uh, programs to help you learn the different tiers within. So like a pro career prog uh, progression or yeah. career path to help you get up, uh, you know, a different ladder, so to speak. Yeah. And then for myself, I'm, I'm constantly learning. I, uh, one best way I'm learning, here's my hack. I just hire people way smarter than me <laughs> in, their, in their own regard. And I just, I just like unleash them. Um, the only thing I vet certainly for is, you know, will they fit the culture of our company? Do they align with the values? If they do, 
that's 60% of the game. Yeah. And, and I, I let them loose and, and uh, boy, am I learning. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. Number two, I, I, I do my best to surround myself with great people. So communities outside the business, mm-hmm. um, certainly people like you who are, uh, you know, inspiring uh, advocacy and leadership and, and things like that. But also outside of my circle, I, I try to be part of networks and things of that nature to help me. And also to have a network that can poke me. I think that's really important. I love uncomfortable. Like yeah. I love and I love to be poked and challenged. So I think some of the best ways we learn is by being challenged. Mm-hmm. Those are some of the. Yeah, of- you've mentioned a lot of really big ones. Um, Cause I think that's the other thing where people can um, sometimes surround themselves with people who are either just like them, who are just going to say, Oh yeah, you're great. You're doing everything well to have someone who's going to challenge you again. That's really great for your personal growth. Uh, the other thing that you said that I really, really appreciate is the values piece because uh, you've got your personal values and you've got the core values of the organization. And this is where I find, unfortunately, for too many organizations, it falls flat because they do the exercise. They have the beautiful values written. You go to the front. These are our values. And then if you were to ask people, you know, what does it look like? Are these, are these values being lived and breathed every day? A, a lot of times the answer is no, and there's no accountability for that. But then the other piece that you just shared, which I think is also hypercritical, is what does it look like to support those values in the organization? You're talking about learning and growth. Okay, so if learning and growth is one of our values, we're going to reimburse. We're going to do this. And I, and I think that's where, and I hope other people that are listening to this podcast will really take that to heart because I, I find that's where there can be a really big disconnect. Well, and I think to that point, um, people will either believe if they're authentic or not based on the actions you take. They're really great. And we could probably frame them up probably the best way possible in the world. Uh, you know, we own a frame company, yeah. but, uh, but I, I think, People know them to be inherent in our business because we, as much as we can, um, either A, put money to them or action them. And, and while I want to premise, we're not perfect, there is no perfect, uh, but people can feel the authenticity of you, at least the attempt to do it. Um, and I think over time, people are watching. And, and if your attempts over time are all geared towards that, then they start to take on a, a a life, a soul. So that value of learning actually becomes ingrained because yeah, you know what? They tried five things, three of them failed. That's okay. But these two really went skyrocket. Like way to go. Yeah. Yeah. So you've, you've shared in terms of the transformational journey of the company and, you know, some of your personal transformation in that you started to see the culture a bit differently. What has been some of your own personal lessons? What's one big lesson you've learned about yourself uh, in terms of how you show up as a leader. Uh, and I always like to share some of the things, like not necessarily failures, but things that you've learned about yourself through feedback, because I think it's helpful. That's also the humility piece, right? We can always grow through feedback. What, is, what has been a big lesson for you? I, I think, um, so assumptions are, are the devil. Um, I, I think, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, I, I, I sometimes feel like I, I know or my assumptions become my reality. So I've failed in a number of junctions because um, I assumed and pulled the trigger too quick. So it could be on an, an initiative that I'm like, no, this is going to like, it's so amazing. 
and then it falls flat in its face. So the assumption, and that's why we do our best to uh, either test, test and check, uh, or or do micro micro cells of it. If we get proof of concept, then we roll out. Yeah. That was one major lesson. Um, yeah, it, that was a pretty pivotal one, and it's still one today because you get overzealous about wanting to do things, but not being cognizant that that could either uh, have a hindering effect because you don't have the, the data. And I think the second one is, and this is ongoing as well, is being an amazing talent scout. So, uh, you know, you get in the game. I've been in the game for 20 years as, as uh, in my career, Ada's CEO. Uh, but I've learned to rely less on my gut and intuition, which is important. Yeah. Uh, but you have to couple that with some science. And so when we're hiring people, we, we, we invest a lot more time and money up front because the wrong hire can cost not only real dollars in, in terms of salary, but it can cost the culture a major hit to the culture, if that makes sense. Such a big one. I love both of those um, for different reasons. Uh, for, so absolutely, when you get that wrong person and don't make, I always say hire slowly and fire fast, right? When you start to realize that person wasn't the right person, and there can be a variety of reasons, right? But to, to, when you learn about that in that first 60, 60 to 90 days, I always say clear is kind, right? Brene Brown is the one that actually started with it. But, but clear is kind because then it's, you know, it's not a right fit for both parties. Um, but I also like what you said there around um, testing something out. If an organization is going to try something new, don't feel like you have to launch this through the entire organization, right? I think about even if it's leadership development or a coaching program, whatever it may be, pilot it in one area of the organization, get feedback, see what worked well, what didn't work well, and then try it in different pockets. You tend to get more buy-in as well. But then also you might say like, this was not the right choice at all. And you haven't now made this huge investment for the entire organization. Yeah. And I think to that point, you mitigate the risk and where, where I, I really seen that we deal with some major retailers across Canada, and the U S and oftentimes we get in and we're so excited and they're like, we have 2000 stores. We're going to test in 50. I'm like, but what about the 1950 other stores? We're like, told me we're going to test. And, and it, it, it really, it, it just spawned something for us and, and I, and, and it's worked. It's worked. Yeah. So Tony, I feel like we could talk all day long because <laughs> you have so much great insight to share. Um, but I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share all of this wonderful insight with, uh, with our viewers today. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a true pleasure. You're, you're a gem of a human to be doing something like this. And, and I'm honored to be on the show. So I really appreciate it. Thank you.